I fell in love with this topic about why there's so much beauty in the world. So there's beauty in displays, there's beauty in, in behavior. So I sort of was interested in these two sides of the argument of what allows for beauty to evolve. And so I chose a lab because I wanted to be exposed to both sides of the argument. And welcome back to Beyond the Bench, the podcast where we delve into stories of scientists and their work. I'm your host, Madison Sankovitz, an entomology PhD student at UC Riverside. And today, co-hosting with me, I have Hannah Chu, another entomology PhD student here at UCR. And today, we're super excited to be talking with three PhD students in the Department of Ecology, Evolution, and Organismal Biology here at UCR. My name is Annika. I'm a third-year PhD student at UCR, and I'm in Nicole Rafferty's lab. So broadly, I study uh, climate change and how it affects plants and their mutualistic partners. I guess the one thing I'm probably going to talk about the most today is, is my work um, in the Alpine, where I'm looking at how early snowmelt, which is caused by climate change, can affect um, the life history timing of plants and how that affects plants' interactions with pollinators. That's so cool. I'm so excited to hear about that. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ayala. I'm in uh, Chris Clark's lab, and I'm co-advised by Polly Campbell. Um, and I study the evolution of complex courtship displays in hummingbirds. And I'm really interested in the evolution of these multimodal, uh, athletic, and vocal displays. Awesome. And Sam? Thanks. So I'm Sam. I am a fifth year student in the in David Resnick's lab, and I study a group of fish called our, or a group of live bearing fish in the Pisciliidae family. And what we're specifically interested in is the evolution of a placenta like organ that they have, and the causes and consequences of that um, on mother offspring and sort of familial dynamics. Wow. Okay. So there's a huge range of topics that you all study here, and each of those are so exciting. I can't wait to hear more about it. But first to start out with, I guess for our listeners, can you guys sort of talk about ecology and evolution, organismal biology? I mean, all these topics are, I mean, it's in the title of your department and they're all sort of studied together and you work on very different systems. Can you sort of speak to why these biological disciplines are so interconnected and how they affect each other? Or, I mean, maybe you do just focus really on one of those, ecology or evolution or organismal biology. So can you sort of speak to if you do focus on one, why you do, and if not, you know, how are these interconnected? I can go first on this one. Uh, so I really think that all of us have elements of ecology, evolution, and organismal biology in our work. But at the same time, it seems like people tend to gravitate towards one subject. So in my case, I'm more of an evolutionary biologist, but ecology informs all of the things that I do. And obviously, the physiology of the organism is at the root of that, which is where that organismal biology comes from. 
Yeah, I think our department's really fun in that it incorporates these three main categories of biology in some sense. But I really struggle to define where I fit within all those three because there's so much overlap. So really without evolution, you don't have organisms. You can't, without ecology, you can't study organisms. So I study an organism by being informed by their ecology, and I'm interested in how evolution shapes behavior. So really nice mix of all three. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think you have an awesome group of people here because we we are kind of in different corners of those three things, I think. But I'm definitely more ecology focused, but I've always thought of like ecology as kind of a snapshot of, of evolution because evolution is constantly occurring and it's helping shape what ecosystems look like. So I feel like ecology is like a picture of, of what evolution has led to. So I feel like they're just intrinsically linked and you can't really pull them apart. That's a cool way of putting it, how it's sort of a, a snapshot sort of, of what evolution has led to. I like that a lot. Okay. So you each gave an introduction to your research. I'd like to hear a little bit more in depth about what each of you do. Maybe because each of you are PhD students and you have a dissertation that you write. For our listeners who don't know, in a PhD, you write a dissertation, which is multiple chapters that are multiple different studies, essentially studies that can be published in and of themselves. So it's many years working on multiple different projects, and sometimes those culminate into one larger project, and sometimes there are multiple projects that are related, but separate. So yeah, I guess if each of you could sort of give a little bit more in-depth look into what your work is for your dissertation, and also how you got interested in doing this work in the first place. I feel like I could do a dissertation on all these topics because they sound so fascinating. But, you know, at the end of the day, you have to choose one. So how did you choose? Um, I think this is a really good question. And it's something that I can think back all the way to high school. And I worked in an aquarium and I've always loved sort of marine biology and everything associated with that. And when somebody asked, you know, what are you going to focus on when you go to college? I had absolutely no idea because I just love the ocean and everything in it. And it really um, is when I was in my undergraduate school at Florida State University that I was sort of guided towards a lab that worked with fish and it just sort of clicked. I'd had fish my whole life. Fish makes sense. Fish is my passion. Let's just go ahead with that. And so when it came to looking at graduate programs, it was easy enough to narrow it down to fish, but it turns out there's actually a lot to study with fish. There's not just one thing. Um, And so I ended up actually working with an advisor who collaborated with my undergraduate advisor. And that was the best fit for a lot of reasons. In some ways, it was safe because I knew the system already and it was really nice to come into that system in graduate school. Um, But I also worked on something completely different. When I was an undergraduate, I worked a lot more on behavior and why certain populations of a certain fish species behave a certain way and have certain characteristics. And now as a graduate student here, I'm looking a lot more into specifically mother-offspring interactions. So in my research specifically, um, I look at compatibility between females from one population and males from another. So as these populations become separate from each other, as they evolve in different directions, we might predict that because these placental species have a more intimate connection between mother and embryo, that there might be more opportunity for incompatibility as the populations move away from each other. And so, yeah, I don't want to take up too much time talking about that aspect of my research, but 
it sort of brought me in a different direction, which was really exciting to come to a different school and study a new aspect of something that I was already familiar with. Yeah, I had sort of a similar experience where undergraduate research really shaped where I went. Um, But I grew up really obsessed with animals. I just was obsessed with animals and obsessed with music also. And so I started college thinking that I would be a wildlife veterinarian. I like worked um, for many years in a wildlife hospital uh, releasing endangered animals and from these captive rearing programs back into the wild. I thought that I would go, I'd be a veterinarian and this would be my life. The first week into college, I stumbled into a building that had a different major that showed pictures of people doing research with wildlife outside and instantly switched majors and decided that I wanted to do research on wildlife instead. And in my head, it was going to have more of an impact to conservation. And then I found a lab that studied the impacts of noise pollution on mating success of a species of concern, the greater sage grouse. And I found this advisor in this lab, the principal investigator was this amazing woman scientist, Dr. Gail Patricelli. And it sort of combined all of my obsessions, this like sound and music obsession with conservation. And so I began working on an research project there under a graduate student and then moved to do an honors thesis in the lab. Really, sage grouse and hummingbirds are similar in many ways in that they're super complex in their mating displays and they're what's known as lek mating systems. But where they really vary is a sage grouse, you can see copulations happen, you can see mating success in the field. And if you've ever tried to follow a female hummingbird to mating, it's close to impossible. So it's not really a studyable system in terms of mate success in the field. So when I was looking for labs, I was sort of interested. I knew that I wanted to study something that had to do with sound and mating behavior and animal behavior. And I fell in love with this topic about like why there's so much beauty in the world, right? So there's beauty in displays, there's beauty in in behavior. So I sort of was interested in these two sides of the argument of what allows for beauty to evolve. And one is that there's like an adaptive reasoning behind it. And the opposite is it's just by chance, right? There's this preference that females have and this beauty evolves just by chance. So I went from a lab in undergrad that really um, studied the adaptive nature of beauty to a lab where the lineage of study was sort of denying this adaptive language. And so I chose a lab based on it being exactly opposite from my undergraduate lab because I wanted to be exposed to both sides of the argument. I love that question about why is there so much beauty essentially in the world and like what's the adaptive uh, aspect of that? How has it come to be? And yeah, that, that can be, I think, a really broad question that might even fall into the social sciences sometimes, but it sounds like you've found a really cool approach to examine that for now. That's awesome. Yeah. What about you, Annika? So I guess I had a similar trajectory, but I 
I guess actually I started out as pre-med and I was not pre-med, but I was interested in going into, into medicine and realized that I really preferred the chapters in the biology book um, that were on plants and insects <laughs> over those that were on human physiology and stuff like that. So I, I started working with a couple of research labs um, at my junior college and then also at um, UC Santa Cruz and really did a lot of work with like global change and plants. And so I kind of focused on things like invasive plant species, which are plants that are from other parts of the world that come to a new part of the world and, and they can have really bad consequences for like native plants and also native insects and native animals. So I worked with those types of things. And I also worked with some other like global change components that I have kind of not worked on since then, but um, things like range management. But I guess my my concern for climate change mounted as I was an undergraduate. And I realized that I really, I wanted to do something useful in, in that arena, but I realized I wouldn't make a particularly good politician. So I thought that going into climate change research would be the next best thing I could maybe do. So I, I kind of pivoted to work with climate change and ended up just being really excited by, by mutualisms and symbiotic interactions. There's so much uh, complexity that drives ecosystems and how species interact that I think is really, I think it's really fascinating. So I kind of changed, changed gears directly after undergraduate and started learning more about pollination. I did an, an internship, which turned into an assistantship in South Central Florida at Archibald Biological Research Station, which was an amazing experience. And then found out about my advisor, Nicole Rafferty, and ended up moving back out to California to, to work with her here. I guess that was kind of short, but that's the majority of. <laughs> no, no, that's very cool. Yeah, I mean, climate change, it really impacts everything. And I think that everyone who works with systems that are investigating the impacts of it and, you know, how to mitigate those impacts. I think that that is just some of the most important work that could possibly be done. So it's really awesome. Okay. So all three of you are PhD students in UCR's EEOB department, which stands for Ecology, Evolution, and Organismal Biology. So in this department, I mean, what does it look like to be a PhD student there? Do you have required classes that you have to take? Do these different labs that work on these different systems interact at all? Or do you find yourself mostly working in your lab sort of isolated? Like what sort of a, a normal week in the department like? In non-COVID. In non-COVID, yeah. yes, definitely. <laughs> I was going to say, it's been really different lately. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> I could talk about the first couple of years because I'm a little more fresh here than Samantha and Ayala, but the great thing about UC Riverside that I thought was so fun is that our first year, you work on what's called in just a first year project, and you're expected to like have data and results by the beginning of your second year. So I think that is a really nice way to like get you started with meeting faculty in the department and you know getting your research kind of off the ground. But also in that first year, you're taking a lot of classes. So I think we have, I'm forgetting now, but we have like a couple of core classes that we can we can pull from. So I took the ecology core class and I don't know what Ayala and Samantha took, but there are a bunch of other more classes that are more specific to, to our work. So I took a number of classes like about modeling species distributions, about modeling ecological systems in general that have that have really been helpful to, to my work. But the, the class requirements at UC Riverside 
in our EOB program are pretty minimal compared to other other schools. And then after the first year, most of us start start teaching. So at least uh, for me, the last year and also this year, I'll be teaching every quarter um, as a teaching assistant for for one of the great bio classes that we have on campus. And I'll continue to do that till I'm till I'm done here. But and then regarding interacting with other faculty. I don't know if other departments was on the table, but I have had a really good time interacting with people outside of my outside of my lab at UCR. I feel like the graduate uh, student body is is really has been so welcoming and been a great source of support through through grad school. But then also, I feel like I can walk down the hall. I guess not more, not anymore, right? But in normal times, I could walk down the hall and knock on someone's office and office door and just like ask them a question about something. And I've been able to form really great collaborations with other, other labs on campus in our department, but also outside of our department. What attracted you initially to UCR's EOB program? Because like I came here because I thought the grad student community was really great, as well as, you know, I had an advisor I wanted to work with, but I know for different people, there are different aspects to the department that would attract you to applying and attending. That's a really great question. I think that right when you come into the EEOB department, you realize that it's it's quite a social department. There's always social events that are department-sponsored. There's always people who are hanging out and doing things. And I think that that just creates a really welcoming atmosphere. Everybody who, ha- who puts on these social events is always inviting everybody to them. It immediately gives you this atmosphere that, oh, these people are actually friends with each other. I think that there's very little sense of like competitiveness between graduate students. It's a very encouraging environment overall. And so that was one of the things that when I came here for recruitment, that really struck me. But overall, I did definitely come here because of my potential advisor. I'd also add just really quickly that I think there's a really good culture of work-life balance among grad students here, which I have appreciated. Yeah, that's awesome. I've also found that for the entomology department. And I know that a lot of people in entomology collaborate with some EEOB people too. Like Annika, I feel like your work could just as easily be in the entomology department as EEOB. I think those collaborations are awesome. Hopefully a lot of listeners of this episode are interested in going to grad school eventually, or at the very least curious about this kind of work or what you do as a biology PhD student. And Annika, you mentioned that, you know, we have these classes here and that may or may not be comparable to similar programs at other universities. So do you all know if, if, the department is similar to other departments at other universities? Like, is is this congregation of ecology, evolution, organismal biology a pretty unique thing to UCR? Or are all those topics commonly studied in other universities together? For example, as an undergraduate, I went to University of Colorado, Boulder, and we had an ecology and evolutionary biology department there. But it was I'd say one of the few biology departments there was sort of you could study like macrobiology in that department or microbiology in the microbiology department. And that was about it. And then at UCR, I know there's honestly, it seems like there's endless biology departments like there's EEOB, but there's also entomology, plant pathology, botany, microbiology, neuroscience, like genomics. There's just so many departments. And so Do you guys have a 
good sense of if this is a common thing at other universities or if it's more common to just get a PhD in general biology. It definitely seems like there are generally sort of themes in programs at universities. Like there's a lot of ecology and evolution programs. And that's sort of what makes our program a little bit different and also a little bit more of a mouthful is that we added the organism biology to it. What I really like about the kind of program that we have is that it does give us the opportunity to sort of encompass all of those specific fields in this one department. And in addition to that, it also allows us to have really cool faculty that do that come from all sorts of different backgrounds. We have programmers and we have microbiologists and we have all of these different people who can really provide a lot of unique training in our program. So I'm also wondering, I mean, I have my perspective as a PhD student, but what would you all say as a graduate student, most of your work looks like? I think that if you haven't done a PhD in biology, you might have this image in your head of what a PhD student looks like. Maybe they're out in the field all the time collecting data, or maybe they're sitting at their computer all the time crunching data. What would you say is like, the percentage of time you spend doing different activities and what do most of your days sort of look like? I sort of view being a graduate student as like a dance between multiple different roles that you have. Some days you're teaching all day, other days there are like full seasons where essentially every hour of daylight I'm in the field when I can be collecting data. Um, And then there's phases where you're writing grants and trying to get in some writing and data analysis. So I think it really varies on the time, what percentage varies based on the season and what you have going on, what percentage of your day is spent, how, and it makes for a nice mix. It's usually not boring. It's never boring. I think one of the hardest things is like deciding what you're going to dedicate yourself to that, that day. Cause there are a hundred things you could be doing. And maybe you want to do the thing that's easiest, but you should probably do the thing that's like more important. <laughs> but I think it's really nice to be able to like have some weeks where you're you're pushing really hard to get a grant due. And then like another week where you're like hiking around in the field all day. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I definitely feel that. I think most of us can relate to that. What do you hope to do for your career after you graduate? And it's okay if you don't have any answer to this because I'm still personally trying to figure that out. And it's a, it's a complex question, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess, well, I guess this is sort of a two-part question. What can you do with a PhD in ecology, evolution, and organismal biology? And then do any of you have specific career goals? Maybe somebody else could take the can you do question. I have a lot of answers for the other part. Sure. So as an EEOB graduate student, there's sort of three main tracks, as I see it, that you can, like directions you can go. You can uh, go into academia as a professor. um, And there's many different ways that professorship can look like. So you can go to a research university. Uh, You can be a professor at a community college, you can be a professor at a liberal arts college. Um, So that's sort of one track. A second track is you can go into research in like a government, either federal or state program. So, or, or I guess private. So this could be say fish and wildlife or um, 
in like private industry. And then the third tract is you can go into some sort of science communication, right? Um, you can figure out a way of disseminating science to the public, which is equally, all three of those are equally important and equally uh, valuable and you learn tools for all of them. So it's, it makes it for a really exciting career path. So I think one of the really cool things about graduate school is that you can come in thinking one thing and leave thinking something thinking something completely different. Because when I came in, I absolutely was dead set on becoming an academic and being a professor at an R1 institution. And I think a lot of the reason for that is that's what I had been exposed to. That's where I was exposed to an undergraduate and that's what I was exposed to here. And then it sort of um, became a thing where I got to meet a lot more professionals, a lot more people who did other things at conferences, at um, workshops that we had at our university. We've had seminar speakers come in with lots of different experiences. And I think that that really opened me up to these different opportunities that now have become exciting. And as far as me personally, I still have that sort of R1 professor on my list, but I'm much more open to different opportunities. And I'm sort of letting the opportunities that I get guide me towards an ultimate career. So I'll apply for to be a postdoc. And if I become a postdoc, then maybe I'll apply to be an assistant professor and it'll sort of follow that path. But along the way, I sort of have a bunch of different forks in my mind of different ways that I could go depending on what happens. I also think the exciting thing about this field is you can sort of combine all three tracks. So I also still want to be an academic at a R1 university, but I'm also very drawn to outreach and disseminating scientific information. And like, if I have a lab or when I have a lab, um, I really want my students to participate in disseminating scientific information to the public. And so I think the exciting thing is you really can, you can have the best of all three worlds. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm still a little bit unsure. Personally, I definitely came in with the idea of becoming a R1 professor, but I just I think back to the times that I worked with the National Park Service and with the Bureau of Land Management. Some of the people there who were like my boss at the time kind of have my dream job. So that's still holds a place in my heart. And I would really absolutely love to be a researcher with the National Park or, or with the Bureau of Land Management. Is that what that dream job is being with the National Park Service or? I think something along those lines. Yeah. But I, I still, yeah, I still love teaching. And so it's, it's kind of hard to pick something. Yeah. And the reason that I asked that too, is because I've seen job postings and I know somebody who has a joint appointment with like USGS and a university. And it just seems like the coolest thing because you can still mentor. So my favorite aspect of graduate school is mentoring students. I have a ton of undergraduates that I work with. And so to have that same mentorship, but also to be, you know, involved in all these different aspects sounds really, really interesting. Being able to be involved with the community too is is awesome. And that's one thing I like being, I like about being a graduate student is because you can get involved with various nonprofits and work with them outside of the school as well as with undergraduates. Yeah, it's something to look for in a career too, I think. I think grad school is really great for exploring those options and really training you to do like any of those jobs. And you have, you know, four, five, six, seven, varies for different people, years to kind of hone in on whichever skills are required for whatever job you decide to go into or career that you choose. And I, yeah, that's like one of the pros of grad school is you're getting paid to kind of figure out what you want to do with your life. 
Yeah, I'd say that was a major reason why I decided to do a PhD is because, you know, I just saw that as a PhD student, you get the opportunity to do all these different things, research, teaching, outreach, mentorship, you know, and that's just sort of baseline. And then you can also go out and search for other opportunities. Yeah. And I just think that it's, you know, grad school isn't for everyone, but if you're someone who likes to explore opportunities like that, it's a really nice place to be able to do that. And as you all were saying, you know, you're always busy, but you're never bored (laughs) on any given day. Uh, And I have found that to be really true. Um, Yeah. Hannah, did you have any other questions? Uh, Maybe to wrap up, just one thing you would tell a prospective student why they should join EOB. Yeah, I would say either your department specifically or just for someone who might be interested in doing a PhD in ecology, evolution, and organismal biology. What would be one piece of advice or one reason why they should look into your department specifically? So I've thought about this question a little bit um, in the past as well, because I think it's important to also acknowledge that our department's not perfect and no department is. Um, And there are all sorts of reasons why you should or should not join a specific program. I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is that you can see yourself there and you like the people that you've talked to and you like your potential advisor because Fortunately and unfortunately, depending on your situation, your advisor plays a a huge part in your success as a graduate student and how much you like being there. And so that would be sort of the main thing that I would tell a prospective student to focus on. Kind of on that note, I'd add that when I was looking for graduate schools, I think for a while I was kind of preferentially choosing schools for like, I don't know how prestigious the program was or like how, I don't know how hard it was to get in. And I like preferentially chose those to apply to. And I kind of, for a little bit, forgot about like the things that I really care about, like my family, you know, being close to places that I love. And one thing I love about UC Riverside is I'm I'm close to a lot of really cool places. I'm, you know, a few hours drive from my family and there are a lot of, yeah, great, great friends down here that I've, that I've made as well. So I think like, you know, you're going to be someplace for up to six or seven years, definitely consider like how you're going to feel when you're there. I think when you're choosing a school. Also sort of having the knowledge that you are shaping the project and it it's your project. So taking ownership on what you want to study and why you want to study it and how you want to study it, I think is something that makes going into graduate school really exciting. I think that's all really great advice and awesome insight into sort of the life of a grad student, especially in biology. Yeah, it's been really exciting to talk to you all today. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And I know that there will be some young listeners of this episode who will be inspired by you. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Bench, a production from SciComm at UCR. This podcast is supported by Science for Citrus Health and the UC Riverside Graduate Student Association. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SciComUCR.